Well, hey, everybody. Uh, so, so glad you're all here. Welcome each and every one of you. I know it's a crazy time right now, so thanks for uh, being here. So before I get into the text today, we're in Acts 3. If you're going to go ahead and turn or scroll there. I was reminded this week the power of an invitation. Okay, so... Um, Eleanor Upton, who's not here today, uh, her grandmother passed away, if you want to uh, text her and pray for her, she's at the funeral, but uh, so she was going through the line at Target, you know, at, at tar- whenever you, you, you ladies know, especially, okay, but when you go through the, the line where you check yourself out or whatever, not check it, you the, the check your own, you check yourself out, okay, y'all heard it, the self-checkout lane, we're going to cut this from the podcast for sure, uh, the self-checkout lane, okay, uh, Eleanor gave that girl who was helping her out, she goes, hey, you know, we have a church, would love for you to come. And the girl said, the pastor's wife gave me one of these yesterday. All right. And I, I just wonder what that girl's going through, that God orchestrated that in her life, that he had Eleanor and Courtney, my Courtney, my rib, my good thing, give her one of these. So we put one of these in every single one of your seats this morning. And here's my challenge, give all of the ones in your seats out this week kids, to your teachers, to the kids at your school, as you, and, and if it's Friday, Saturday, and you're st- you still have some, go to the store, buy something, and give them out, all right? So that's my challenge to you this week. Eric, you can have two, all right? So sorry, I, I plan for that to go differently. Okay, so uh, again, welcome. So Acts chapter three, if, if, you're, if you're new or new back to us, we're going through the book of Acts, and we have, a, so if, and if you don't have, you can get up and get one now if you even want to, but we have a copy of Acts for you, a scripture journal to take with you. So what we'll see today is Peter, the Apostle Peter, explained to religious people that they should accept Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, as the Son of God, and his explanation is jam-packed with showing us that Jesus is the Son of God and that, Bible, and that the Bible is a perfect book. I really do love the Bible. Don't you? So, so whenever you become a pastor, you go through what's called an ordination service. And so somebody of people ask you a bunch of questions. They ask me all kind of questions. I, I, I knew the answers to some of them. And then you go through, you have like this service where the pastors install you into the gospel ministry. And so my dad and granddad preached that service. And my granddad, my home church pastor, you've heard me talk about him. He plants in my home church. He ended that service by lifting the Bible high and saying, son, if you stick to this book and love your wife, things would tend to, tend to work out okay. And so that's what I'm trying to do my whole life is to to stick to this book, love my wife, and I hope things tend to work out okay because I believe the Bible is a perfect and errant book. And so that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. The Bible, you know, it's an inspiring book and let's face it, it's a controversial book. I mean, it it inspires us to love and peace and inspires, it just kind of ticks some people off for whatever reason, which we can talk about. Um, the Bible has inspired some of the greatest thinkers in the history of the world. It's inspired a lot of people's derision as well. In the 18th century, one of my favorite stories about the Bible, the French atheistic philosopher Voltaire, he said, another century and there will not be another Bible on earth. And not long after that, the Bible Society bought what was his home, and now they print tens of thousands of, of Bibles in there and distribute it every single year. Okay, so the Bible continues to go in the face of all of uh, the, the, the controversy and everything else that comes up, the Bible continues to be the book that billions of people look to in the course of history. You know, one of Satan's primary play calls uh, it was in Genesis 3, okay? He called, he called this play, and he calls it some variation of it in every generation since. He said to Eve, he said to the woman, did God actually say? 
Did God actually say you shouldn't eat of that tree? Well, actually, yeah. In Genesis 2, God told Adam literally that right there. Did God really say that? Throughout the centuries, Christians have responded to countless challenges that undermine the authority of the scriptures in that very way. Did God really say that some things really never change? And so each generation, you can look at the course of Christian history, each generation has approached that question in some different kind of way. Did God really say that? In the 20th century, last century, okay, the debate centered on divine inspiration, on inerrancy, and the landscape of that debate has now shifted, I think. Many now say that the Bible is culturally outdated, Okay, we hear this all the time. Are you, are you sure a loving God would say that? Is how it often feels these days. So this challenge basically says that the Bible's offensive, archaic message should give way to a hermeneutic of tolerance and love and inclusion, which I think we are the best at that, actually. I think, uh, I think that Christians, we are naturally inclusive. We are naturally tolerant. We, we are the people of love. At least we ought to be. So the interesting thing about the way people think about truth in this generation and approach that did, actually, did God actually say question is that truth may change, that the truth is somehow able to change throughout the centuries. The rapper Macklemore, who must have retired, boom, no hits lately. Okay, so Macklemore, thank you, Jeffrey. Uh, Macklemore had that huge song, Same Love, that came out a few years ago where he basically said that Christianity isn't true because the Bible's old. Okay, well, so does that mean that, that his new truth will be untrue in a thousand years? Does its age necessarily make it untrue? Okay, so I want to make this argument today, which is Peter's essential argument from Acts chapter 3. The entire Bible is about Jesus. The Bible shows that Jesus is the Messiah, so Jesus is God. Therefore, Jesus is the only one who can save you. Okay, so let's read in Acts 3, 17 to 26. And let me remind you quickly what we studied last week. In Jesus' name and in Jesus' power, Peter and John heal a lame beggar at the beginning of Acts chapter 3. And everyone in the temple are amazed, is the word. And so now Peter's talking to that group, the ones who were amazed, okay? They are devout religious people, okay? People who were trying to obey Yahweh, People who believe the Old Testament, the law, and the prophets, that's Peter's audience, okay? Look at Acts three seventeen. And now, brothers, this is, this is Peter preaching to those people. I know you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets in the Old Testament he's talking about, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled that prophecy. Repent, therefore. Turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come upon, may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, for 21, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Again, he's talking about the Old Testament there. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken, from Samuel and those who came after him, all the prophets proclaimed, also proclaimed these days, the days of Jesus. You are the sons of the prophets. You come from those guys and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having first having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So Peter, there's a lot of uh, stuff in there, a lot of Old Testament stuff, a lot of things that, that 
it's, it's good to talk about and study, okay? Peter mentions that, Mo, he mentions what Moses said, what Samuel said, and then he kind of, several times you heard in there, he's like, and what all those prophets were talking about. Okay, so what Peter is saying here, what Samuel said, what Moses said, what all the prophets, they were all talking about Jesus. They were all pointing to Jesus, prophesying about Jesus, telling about who, Je- who the Messiah, who the Christ would be, and it was Jesus. Think about, okay, the, Peter's point here is how the whole Bible's, so think about how consistent the Bible's message is, cons- considering it has a 1,500-year span. It's written over the course of 1,500 years, 40 generations, 40 human authors over three continents. Moses was a political leader trained in the universities of Egypt. Peter was a fisherman, Amos, a herdsman, Daniel, a prime minister, Luke, a doctor, Matthew, a tax collector, Paul, a rabbi. A lot of different kind of authors there. Yet for all the variety of authorship, and continents and space and across time, the whole Bible carries a single compelling message from Genesis to Revelation, and it's all about Jesus. Only God could write this book, okay? Think of how different a book would be if you wrote on the same subject and your great-grandmother who lived in Europe her whole life wrote on the same subject. It wouldn't even, it would, think of how different that book would be. Yet, the entire Bible focuses on Jesus. Tim Keller, who I mention often in here, He says that reading the Old Testament, now that we are on this side of the cross and the resurrection, reading the Old Testament is like seeing the sixth sense for the for the second time. I don't know if you get you Gen Z get the sixth. So there was this movie that it was like this big reveal at the end, and then you see what the whole movie was about the whole time. Have you okay? So it was great. Okay, so as you read the Old Testament, all of a sudden you see Jesus everywhere. It's like, oh my, now this makes so much sense. You begin to see that Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. You see that Jesus is the true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has, has blood that carries out our acquittal, not our condemnation. We see that Jesus is the true and better David whose victory becomes the people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Okay, we realize that Jesus is the true and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father, on the mount, but truly sacrifice for all of us. This entire book is about Jesus, every single page. Peter mentions fulfilled prophecies, okay? And, you know, few things are more exciting to me in this world than, than prophecies about Jesus and how he fulfilled them, okay? Peter is engaging religious people who know the Old Testament, but they've rejected Jesus as the Messiah, okay? So he gives a reasoned defense And encourages them to repent. Hey, quit going in the way you're going and turn back and follow Jesus. Follow the God that you're actually trying to follow in the first place. And, you know, there are some new Christians in his audience, to be sure, today. But it seems that his intent is to help these people who are going the wrong way turn back and follow. And so I'd like to do the same for you today. Okay, in our context and time, okay, I think you're trying to follow God, so why don't we follow the God that you're actually trying to follow? I've shared my past in here plenty of times about my, my past, my struggle with agnosticism, long, long time, not believing that Jesus was the only way to God. Uh, for about a decade, I thought that, but, but I really, I wanted to believe, honestly. There were, I was surrounded by a lot of good Christians. I really was, and I wanted to believe, but what it really boiled down to for me was, is the Bible true? Makes sense. Because if the Bible's true, I better follow Jesus because he's God. But how do we know if the Bible's true, right? 
While there is always a measure of faith, God has provided us with verifiable proof that he wrote this perfect book through fulfilled prophecies. Okay, did you know about 27% of the Bible is prophetic? Okay, Uh, there are 1,817 prophecies of some nature in the Bible at the time the author wrote the scripture, it was prophetic. Okay, a prophecy is a pre-written history. It's different than a prediction, okay? A prophecy is a pre-written. So I predicted that the Cowboys were gonna win the Super Bowl this year. It's looking less and less likely that that's gonna happen, okay? So that's a, but so we're not talking about predictions. Oh, God really got lucky a thousand, 1,817 times. No, it's a pre-written history that he, so all kind of prophecies, even before Jesus, it was prophesied that Abraham would have a son, and he did, okay? And that prophecy probably was looking pretty bleak when he was 99, Okay, but he had a son at 100 years old because God said he would, so of course he did. Prophecies like Cyrus of Persia will be the king who rebuilds the temple foundation. Even before Cyrus's name was written in, in Isaiah 45.1, it was 100 years before he would even be born. Okay, and the temple foundation was totally intact. So it would be like so one of us predicting who's gonna be the president of the United States in 100 years. It's impossible unless God's writing the book right? Or way before it happened, the Bible wrote about nations like the fall of the northern kingdom or the length of Judah's captivity. It nailed the length. Empires like the fall of Babylon or the destruction of Tyre. All these things the Bible wrote way in advance of it happening, and then it happened time after time again, just like the Bible said that it would. There are no other books doing this, right? I mean, the Bible has an amazing 100% track record of 100% accuracy 100% of the time. The Bible's batting a 1,000, okay? Isn't that exciting? Don't you just so fired up with this? I know I am, okay? So, but the crown jewel, okay? How about the prophecies concerning the Lord Jesus Christ? The greatest fulfillments of prophecy are found at the first coming of Jesus. Hang on with me here, because I want you to hear, I'm not gonna read all 300. We're gonna get close, okay? But just... So it was written, it was prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born on earth in the Old Testament that the Christ, the Messiah, would be born of the seed of Abraham, of Jesse, and of David. And Jesus was. That he would be born of a virgin called Emmanuel, born in Bethlehem. Check, check, check. Great persons would come to adore him. Y'all remember that part of the Christmas story where kings came? and they worshiped the baby Jesus. He would be called out of Egypt. He would be preceded by a forerunner. Now we know it was John the Baptist, his cousin. He would be anointed with the Holy Spirit. He'd be a prophet like Moses, a priest from the order of Melchizedek. He would be entering into his public ministry in Galilee. He would would enter publicly into Jerusalem, and he would come into the temple. He would live in poverty and meekness, tenderness and compassion. He would be without deceit. He'd be full of zeal, He would come preaching with parables, working miracles, bearing reproach. He would be rejected by his own Jewish brethren. It was predicted before, excuse me, prophesied before he ever came in the Jewish text that his own people would uh, reject him. The Old Testament prophesied that Jews and Gentiles would join together against him. We know that. He would be betrayed by a friend. His disciples would forsake him. He would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. This is how exact these pre-written prophecies were. He would die with intense suffering, yet be silent under that suffering. He would be struck on the cheek. His appearance would be marred. He would be spit upon. He would be scarred. He would be forsaken by God, and he would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
the Bible, uh, the Old Testament wrote that he would be mocked, that, he would, that vinegar would be offered to him. His garments would be torn and parted. Lots would be cast for his clothing. He would be numbered among his transgressors. He would intercede for his murderers. He would die and not a bone in his body would be broken, which again, so you know, if you remember on the cross, guys on either side of him, actual people who broke the law, and to end the crucifixion, they broke those guys' legs to finish so that, so that they would finish dying by asphyxiation. But they didn't do that with Jesus. They always did it. Every single one of these prophecies, if just in that moment one of the Roman soldiers broke his legs like he did everybody else, okay, well, Jesus isn't the Messiah. It's done. It wasn't perfect. But every single time it was fulfilled. It, would, it was written that he would be pierced long before crucifixion was even invented, that he would be buried with the rich. His flesh would not see corruption, that he would be raised from the dead and he would ascend back to the right hand of God the Father. And I could go on and on and on and on. There are so many more pre-written histories that Jesus fulfilled, all written hundreds and hundreds of years before his birth. Jesus fulfilled, like I mentioned a second ago, over 300 prophecies spoken by different voices over the span of 500 years. Okay, there's no way to collude, okay? If you're written 500 years apart, those guys don't know each other, okay? So uh, God had to do it. And many of these prophecies were fulfilled you know, while he was being born, while he's in his mother's womb, while he was in the grave, and the matter was simply out of his control. You know, Jesus fulfilled 29 prophecies on the day of his death, a day in the human sense he had no control over, right? So Peter made this argument in 2 Peter 1.19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, and we can be included in this, to which you will do well to pay attention Pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. We need to pay attention to it. The, the prophecies fulfilled in Christ are astonishing. They really are. So to kind of get our minds around how amazing it is, um, Texas is big. You guys are proud about that, okay? Second biggest officially, but it's really, really big, okay? So one mathematician worked out the math. You've probably heard this maybe in the past here and there, but one mathematician worked out the math to show that one man fulfilling just eight prophecies from centuries before, one man fulfilling just eight, okay, we're talking about 300, just eight is the same odds as if you covered the state of Texas one foot high in silver dollars and you put one red dot on one of those silver dollars and then you had one chance to pick that one coin out. It's the same odds as one man fulfilling just eight and of course Jesus filled so many more fulfilled the chance of 300 such prophecies all being fulfilled is the same of, as 300 consecutive coin flips turning up tails, or I have the number for you here. Um, Shannon, could you read that number for us real quick? Okay. That's the odds, okay. For those of you who went to public school like me, okay, here's what that means. It's impossible for this to happen unless there's a God who's orchestrating all these events because he loves us and he wants us to know him. It all points to love. Every number up there, every prophecy, every amazing thing that we look at today, it's all because Jesus loves you. Again, all of this recorded hundreds of years before Jesus ever entered the world. And many of these prophecies were fulfilled not by his friends, but by his enemies who stood to lose the most by him actually proving that he's the Messiah. And it's not just prophecies, you know, again, back in my doubts, I would test all these things out. It's not just prophecies like he shall be called Emmanuel 
Mary reads that in the Old Testament and kind of changes his name. It's, it's not that, okay? So many details that you just can't manipulate like we talked about with his birth and his death. So in Acts 3 here, Peter is begging these Jewish people, these people who believe in the Old Testament, that they believe that they're trying to obey Yahweh. Peter's going, you're rejecting your Messiah, who God wants a great lengths to send to you and to prove to you who he is so he could prove his love to you. And I wonder in here, who in here who's, who is rejecting the very God who's gone to such great lengths to show you if you're far from God and here today, hear me, he wants to pull you close. He wants you to place your faith in him for the first time. There were years, like I mentioned, where I doubted if Jesus was the only way. And all this kind of empirical evidence, I love it. It, it, it builds my faith greatly, but it only takes you so far. It's, there's always faith involved. So it's still a matter of faith, but here's the reality, okay? Something happened 2,000 years ago. Something happened. Jesus by far is the most influential person to ever live. He wasn't just another guy who came and went, okay? You know, at that time, did you know that claiming to be the Messiah was actually a really common thing during Jesus' lifetime, that period? During Jesus' lifetime alone, about 40 men publicly claimed to be the Messiah. Can anybody name, we've got a pretty studied group in here, can anybody name any of those guys? You know why you can't? Because they weren't. They didn't check out. They, they broke a bone or they weren't born or something. They didn't check out. Something happened 2,000 years ago that transformed Jesus' friends and family from skeptics into believers so devout that they were killed saying, he's divine, he's the Messiah. So as we engage unchurched people around the city, you know, so 10, 15 years ago as we uh, would engage unchurched people, lost people, a lot of times the conversation would turn to what's called apologetics, right? Like, a def- like what we're talking about today, a defense of the faith. Um, now, a lot of times as we engage unchurched people, they're not going, well, what is Bart Ehrman, you know, what about his views on textual criticism? They're not doing that, okay? What, what about your views of the creation? They're not really doing that. What they're wanting to know is, is God really good? Is, is he really, what about my dad who died early? What about the things that are happening in the world what about my terrible circumstances? Is God really good? And we touched on some of that last week. You can go back and listen to. But what I want you to hear today by seeing all of this, infinitely, infinitely so, yes, he is good. Okay, what I want you to see is God going to such great lengths for us to see and know that Jesus is the Messiah and what God is like and that we can have a relationship with him. All that he reveals in the Bible, every, work, every word in this book is a demonstration of God's goodness. Every single word. He didn't have to write any of this down. You know? He didn't have to send prophets to foretell of his arrival. He didn't have to let Luke and John and these guys take notes as he walked around, okay? But because God is so good, he made a way for us in Jesus. And he wrote it all down so that we can believe and know that we have eternal life and so that we could know him in a personal way. So if you're here today and you know, maybe you've been bitter because God hasn't met your demands, okay? Um, you're upset with circumstances in your life. You're wondering if God is even aware of what's happening. And what I'm trying to show you is how intimately involved he is in leading you into himself. And it's time to give your life to him today. You know, being mad at God's not gonna work. Tried it, okay? Trying, you know, trying your path's not gonna work. It's time, as Peter said, look at verses 19 and 20 again in, in Acts 3. Peter said to these people, repent. Turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Don't you love the, the phrasing there? Not so that your sins can uh, kind of go to the back of God's head. No, they're blotted out. And so that times of refreshing may come upon 
you from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed to you, Jesus. Jesus isn't giving you a list of things to do in order to win his attention. Praise God, okay? He's asking you to accept what he's done because he loves you and because he wants you. 